Have you ever heard of Kelly Corrigan? She has written four New York Times bestsellers and has a great show on PBS. Oh, and the Oprah magazine, no big deal, calls Kelly the voice of a generation. Well, she also has a podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders, and it is awesome. Thousands of five-star reviewers say she is thought-provoking, funny, and authentic. And it has over 14 million downloads. She gets real with everyone, from Lisa Damore to Pete Buttigieg to Julie Lithgott-Hames and Mary Louise Kelly. Subscribe to Kelly Corrigan Wonders wherever you're listening now. Hey, everyone. First off, we want to thank you for listening to No One Is Coming to Save Us. And now we want to hear from you, what you've learned, what's sticking with you, what questions you still have, and what you're motivated to do as a result of listening. Right now, you can take our short survey to help us better understand the impact of our work. And even better, once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card. The survey is short and sweet, I promise, and it will really help us keep bringing you content you love. Take the survey at bit.ly slash no one survey. That's bit.ly slash no one survey. Thanks again. Lemonada. Hi, guys. The team behind No One Is Coming to Save Us, Lemonada Media, has a brand new show, and I think you're going to love it. It is called V Interesting, and it's hosted by TikTok star V Spear. V is the host of the popular TikTok account, Under the Desk News, where they provide a news digest in 60 seconds or less every single day. Sometimes they need more than a minute to bring you the news, which is why this new twice-weekly show is so great. On Tuesdays, V will highlight stories you might have missed in the news cycle or give you interesting new ways to think about the top stories. On Fridays, they'll go deep into complex issues that matter to us all, even if they are not dominating the headlines. Search for V Interesting with V Spear wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Okay, it's um, 9.56. I just put in a load of laundry. Our laundry machine's really old, so you might hear it, like, banging around over there. Um, what can I tell you? Uh, I'm doing laundry on a Friday night because my son's disgusting soccer socks have been eyeing me all week, and he has a game that came up surprisingly early. It's tomorrow. They've been eyeing me, these disgusting soccer socks, for, like, four days. So I'm washing those now. My other son will take my daughter to a birthday party, thankfully, in the neighborhood because he doesn't drive because he's 13. I have a work call in four minutes with someone on the West Coast, which is sort of crazy, but I got to get it done. Um, Yeah, then, like, let's just hope nobody has a meltdown. That happens often in our house, and it always requires time and patience and zen, which is in um, increasingly short supply. (laughs) Okay, I got this. You got this. We got this. Hi, guys. (laughs) Okay, so truth be told, I totally forgot making that voice memo. I do know those socks, though. Uh, My son still wears the same pair every practice and every game. (laughs) This is No One Is Coming to Save Us, a Lemonada Media original presented by and created with Neighborhood Villages. I'm your host, Gloria Riviera. This conversation you're about to hear, um, I still can't really believe that it happened. So I'm just going to say it. 
I got to talk to Dr. Becky, the Dr. Becky. Oh, you know her. And if you don't, hold on to your parenting hat, people. Hold on to your how to be an emotionally healthy human hat because Dr. Becky is here to help us feel. She is a clinical psychologist and host of the enormously popular podcast, Good Inside. Dr. Becky is also a mom of three, a spouse, a daughter, and a friend. She is good people. In this episode, she's going to tell me about how her perspective as a parent and as a professional did a complete 180. She flipped from a behavior-first, reward-and-punishment-style of parenting to a much more mindful, more healing approach, which actually meant no more sticker charts. Do you guys remember those? And can you believe it? No more timeouts. Yeah, she's going to take us through why timeouts really fall short if your goal is to make space for your child to feel validated in feeling a feeling which in turn makes space for them to learn how to navigate that feeling. She really made me laugh when she was talking about her husband. And she said, so, you know, what would happen if my partner said to me, well, that was rude, Becky, you get a timeout. As if to say, you know, go stand in silence by yourself with that quote unquote bad behavior. I'm with Dr. Becky because after our conversation, I see very clearly how a timeout does just about absolutely nothing for a child. I will let her tell you more about some really good alternatives. She's going to talk about the power of small decisions, things like putting our stupid freaking phones away. Oh yeah, I have been the mom at bedtime getting ready to read a story to my beloved child and checking Instagram. I mean, barf. She's going to talk about a lot more and pay close attention because this episode is really therapy for all caregivers. At least it was for me. Okay, here's my conversation with Dr. Becky. I like to start by asking all my guests, what logistical issue did you triage first thing this morning? Whether you were in bed, whether you were brushing your teeth, what went through your head that made you feel like you had to figure it out? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, so on Thursday mornings, I I do like a workout with my friends. We go to someone's building, we work out, and then we have breakfast together. And as a full-time working outside of the home parent who, you know, obviously in some ways works in the home too, it, it, it's so important for me to have that time with my friends, but also always running through my head is like, wait, but is today too busy? Like, do I just have to get to the office earlier? And so early this morning, and I wake up very early, I was thinking, like, do I have time for breakfast? Like, do I, do I have time for that? Or do, <laughs> do I have I to have tell time? my... time? Yeah, do I have time for breakfast with them? Like, sit down and have breakfast? Or is today, a, like, I got to work out and then and then go? So that's what I was trying to triage yeah. in my head. Well, those things are so sacred. Last night, my husband and I wanted to just go outside, and he suggested a walk holding hands something that we've learned through therapy. And I definitely was like, we don't have time. We don't have time to take a walk and hold hands. Exactly. Like we just, like someone was melting down. It's so, it's so difficult, but I love that you're, you're, you're triaging. How am I going to handle my self-care? Right. Cause that time is self-care. Yeah. It's like, I I haven't thought about it until you asked me this question, but I feel like I'm triaging like which parts of me get airtime today. Ah, that's such a good way of putting Mm -hmm. it. Which parts of me. Yeah. Cause the, the other parts 
I, I was laughing. I was telling my husband I was sitting down to this interview and I haven't showered. So listeners, I haven't showered, but you can't see me. So it's okay. The other question I like to ask is who took care of you when you were small and tiny? My parents really did take care of me. They did. Um, not perfectly. Hmm. Um, but they they really did. And I, I would credit my mom, um, who is the single most non-judgmental person in the world. Oh, lucky you. Wow. I feel like, uh, you know, through my own journey, I've had to learn about, like, setting boundaries. Like, I wouldn't say she's the f- strongest boundary setter, you know. Having said that, she literally is the most non-judgmental person. Like, it was always trying to figure out the story underneath the on-the-surface behavior and that... In you. she in was me. She was curious about that. So when you were tiny, when you were, like, under the age of five... Yes. It was your mom who was there. Yes. Like, she was, she was there. She was there. She was emotionally present. She helped me feel safe, for sure. Oh, that's so great. That makes me happy. Um, how do you do it? You're a mom of three. How are you navigating childcare? I don't know. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> One day at a time. I mean... 24-7 triage. Yeah. You know, I actually just said this. My mom still helps out. It's honestly one of the things that makes this whole world go round, right? Me and I'm a full-time working parent now outside the home. That was not true two years ago. I was working two days a week. That was the setup of our lives. I had my private practice. I was with our kids and managing our home those other days. And my husband works full-time. And now we're both working full-time. And yes, we have three kids. And 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 my mom still is present, um, as is my amazing, amazing babysitter, to help you know manage. And there's so many exciting things in my work life now that are just open files, I would call them in my head. And it was, it was to my mom yesterday. I was just saying like, I, I, it's just so busy, like in my body, it feels so busy. And it's not even, it's not even like quote bad things. It's just, it's just a lot. It's just, yeah, it's a lot. So how do I manage? Like, I try to make really small decisions and just like remind myself that's all I have to do. So like today, can I, can I pick my sun up from school. Like, can I be like, today's the day I'm going to say I'm not having a meeting after three. I am picking my son up from school. Okay. Today I didn't pick anyone up. Can I have five minutes alone with my daughter without my phone in the room? Can I give her Mm. five? I call it PNP time. Play no phone. Just like, can I give her PNP time for five minutes? Okay. I can do that. And I think if I zoom out and look at it too holistically, like, how am I going to be the parent I want to be and work? Like, I don't know. It just, it feels so nebulous and so overwhelming. But when I zoom back in to like, how can I show up today or what could I do different tomorrow? Then I feel like I can, I can manage. And do you get a little boost from those moments? Like when you leave PNP time, do you feel better in your body? I, that's literally what I would say. Yes. Like the other night I was in bed going, about to go to sleep. And I was like, oh, I was just like, uh, I was watching a, sh- you know, there's a TV show my husband and I watched with my oldest. My other kids are sleeping at that time. We watch a show together. And I was like, I was kind of like on my phone and like doing different things. And, you know, I feel like that was annoying to my son. Like, it, at the very least, we could pay attention to the same show and have a singular point of focus for both of us. Oh, I know. It's so, that so resonates with me. God. And it just felt bad. I was like, ew. It felt, and yeah. then, you know, but I kind of tried to, I stopped the spiral. As I always do it. So I'm like, I'm a good parent who was distracted. Yeah. Like the distraction isn't me. I, I'm a good parent who's distracted. Tomorrow I can do something else. And I say it out loud. This literally happened last night. I said to my husband and my 10-year-old, I was like, I'm trying to be on my phone less in the moments that I truly don't have to. So when we watch the show, I'm lucky to see, I put 
setting my phone over there far away. Um, please watch for any moments that I start sneaking over and just like say, Becky, do you want to be doing that? Like, please, please, I'm asking you to call me oh, out. right. You're so, asking for help. You're yes, asking for help. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I hear us talking about being present when we are physically present, but I'm also curious about your thoughts on separation anxiety and really all of what you talk about on your podcast, Good Inside, in your written work, those fundamental important things and how they manifest in early child care, mm. right? Mm -hmm. We separate from our children if we are lucky enough to find a way to place our child in an early child care situation, an early education situation. And it's hard for both. So how do parents navigate that in the healthiest way for their child? And how do child care workers navigate it in the healthiest way for both child and parent and yeah. themselves? Okay, great. I love talking about this. Um, <laughs> Good. We're on the right track. <laughs> yeah. And and for everyone listening, right, I have three kids who really have had very different patterns around separation. So I've really been with a kid who has kind of a hard time, a kid who like really, really has a hard time, and a kid who like runs off and you're like, oh, does my kid even like care about me? Like, is that, a, is that normal? Like, so I really have had... I'm back here. I'm back yeah, here. Like, have bye. a good day. <laughs> okay, I guess we're, guess we're done. Right. Um, so uh, I really feel like I can answer this question by grounding kind of all the ideas in, in family jobs. Okay. Right. So to me, this is like critical because actually when our kids are having a hard time, like let's say it's with separation, we often think like, how do I make my kid not have a hard time, but then I'll feel better. We never actually feel better that way. Like we, or that's just a hard way to feel better because you're trying to control someone else. We feel right. better as soon as we have clarity. Mm. Like as soon as you have clarity as a parent, essentially like, what is my job here? What's my kid's job? You automatically feel better even though nothing on the surface has changed. So separation is like a key one. What is my job? Always my job as a parent, I think are boundaries, validation, and empathy. So boundaries are decisions I make. Boundaries are um, kind of sometimes behaviors I have to engage in, right? So I might like stop my kid from hitting their sister. That would be a boundary. I guess it's a form of a decision, but that's like the decision I make. And then validation and empathy is really a process of seeing other people's feelings and your own as real and important, right? So, and our kid's job, and this to me is so important, our kid's job in my mind in their early years are to experience and express their feelings. Like that's actually their job. Because the only way you ever learn to manage feelings is by going through the tunnel of experiencing them. Like you can never learn to regulate an emotion you don't allow yourself to feel. Right. Oh my God. So well put. Okay. Right. So if we want our kids, and I think everyone is like, I would love my 20-year-old to have 20-year-old coping skills, not two-year-old coping skills, which sometimes adults do have the same coping skills <laughs> as a young kid, right? It looks a little different. Sometimes it doesn't. So if we want our kids to learn emotion regulation skills, which I think are the most important skills of life, they're the hard skills, not the soft skills, then our kids have to feel their feelings. Okay, so how does this come together in separation? Then we can go over where, I would say like where there's role confusion, right? Right, so, right. Okay. Okay, so first of all, around separation, we have to think like what's really going on? Well, we are a secure base to a kid right? We are the person they feel safe with. Kids need to attach to us to survive. We give them food, shelter, and water, validation, love, all the things they need. So being distant from us is like a is like a big threat, <laughs> like, right? truly. So it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. So of course they have feelings. 
So the first thing to think about is how can I make separation moments like more manageable for my kid? And a lot of that has to do with what we do in advance. Mm. So I always think about how can we make the unfamiliar more familiar? So what's unfamiliar? Going to school, being in a new place, like the moment of separation. Well, making up a separation routine in advance, Mm -hmm. talking to your kid about what's going to happen, like exactly what's going to happen, practicing that routine, that all makes it more familiar. And then the boundary part is important. Telling your kid what you're going to do matters. And then I'm going to leave. And if you're crying, as an example, that's okay. You're allowed to be sad. Mom knows you're safe and mom knows I will come back and we will be back together. If you cry, I'm going to get you to teacher Anna and she's going to sing Twinkle Twinkle. I told her that's your favorite song. And then I know you're going to have a fun day like everyone else. So let's fast forward to like the moment you're there. You've practiced the routine. Now at least your kid has an element that they feel mastery around instead of unfamiliar around. Mm -hmm. And your kid's crying, right? Now, there's a little bit of an assumption here is that I've determined as a parent that the person and place I'm leaving my kid is safe. Yeah. If you don't feel like your kid is safe, then we shouldn't be leaving our kid anywhere. Right, right, right. they can't feel that way. So that is an assumption to make sure our listeners are aware of. Like we are talking about a scenario in which you feel good about walking away. Yes. And if there's not one, if you don't feel good, I think there's a couple things we can think, okay, how much is like, we all bring our anxiety into it, right? Can we separate that? But also, like, if you don't have a childcare option that you feel is safe for your kid, yeah, there's a major systemic issue. Like, that's not your fault. Right. But no wonder nobody feels good about separation. Like, we can't solve that. And that's the reason for this podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But we are assuming we feel good about the place we are leaving our child. Then I think what we really need to do, and this is what I think is so important for parents, is we need to both, going back to our job, validate our kids' hesitation while not, like, being taken over by it. If we're taken yeah. over by their hesitation and nerves, then it's actually scarier to them than anything else. Because they're like, well, yeah. I'm nervous about it, but my feelings just overwhelm my parents. So maybe the separation, whoa, it actually is as scary as I feared it was. Holy moly, I am definitely right. not letting go of my parent, right? I, I, I often say to parents, we have to see something in our kid before they can see it in themselves. We have to see their coping before they can access it, right? So words like, it's okay if you cry at drop-off, tears or no tears, Dad knows you're safe and you're going to have a good day. Yeah. Right? I've said to my kids before, knowing the tears were coming, some kids cry at drop-off. Some kids don't. Both kids can have a good day at school. Yeah. Like kind of just like this is part of their arc. So being able to hold that boundary and being able to like see something in our kid that they can't yet see in themselves while allowing for their emotion. We don't want to say, stop crying. It's no big deal. That's very different. It's like cry and I know we're going to be okay. Both. Yep. Yep. And then get out. When we come back, Dr. Becky tells me why she thinks timeouts are not the answer. Stick with us. Have you ever wondered if knowing more is always good? Or if we can really trust our gut? Or how change? actually happens. For answers, I turn to Kelly Corrigan Wonders, a weekly podcast I just love. If you haven't heard of her, Kelly has written four New York Times bestsellers and has a great show on PBS. Oh, and the Oprah Magazine calls Kelly the voice of a generation. 
The Huffington Post calls her the Poet Laureate of the Ordinary. Her podcast, Kelly Corgan Wonders, has thousands of five-star reviews that emphasize thought-provoking, funny, authentic. It also has over 14 million downloads. She gets real with everyone, from Lisa Damore and Pete Buttigieg to Julie Lithcott-Hames and Mary Louise Kelly. Together they help us focus on the long game of parenting, create support systems, and keep our lives in good working order. Subscribe to Kelly Corgan Wonders wherever you're listening now. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out March 27th from Lemonada Media. How did you find your way to this work? How did I find my way to this work? Well, just like I've always found people to be like infinitely fascinating. Like I just, I love asking people questions. I love learning about them. I love learning about their families. I love learning about intergenerational stories. Like I just always have. Um, And then I think in college, I was like, oh, there's like a career for this. Like I could actually make a career out of getting to know people. That's pretty great. So (laughs) studied psychology there. Sign me up. Yeah, I was like, that's amazing. Got into um, Columbia's PhD program. So I was at Duke at the time. I got to come back to New York where I'm from this area. And there I was in the adult and child track. So I worked with adults, adult psychotherapy and kids. And my work with kids I loved, but I loved working with the parents more. And I also Mm. felt like my impact was greater. I was like, oh, well, you're in your family home way more often than you're in my therapy room. And I think child therapy is amazing and so helpful. So that's not what I'm saying. But I was like, oh, I would just love to work with the parents and be in the system. And so that was always interesting to me. Then I had my, you know, my first kid and I started doing more and more parenting work. And then I had, and before I had my second kid, that's what I should say, like I would be teaching parents all these things. And I loved how actionable it was and concrete and allowed me to take it just allowed me like distill so much psychological deep knowledge, but translate it into actionable strategies, which I like. And I remember parents like struggling with their kids. And I would often think like, I think you're not doing it right. Or like, I don't know if you're like, you oh, know, yeah. I would. I don't think I'd say that. The daughter of the non-judgmental mom. Oh, so much, you know. Was saying, wait a minute here. Yeah, I was like, oh. I'm not sure that's the right way to go. And then I had my second kid. And that's when I deeply feel like it. I was like, okay, wait. Like kids are just infinitely complicated. I always feel like kids end up needing different parents. Like they all need different parts of us to come to the surface. And And then, honestly, how I really came to this was I was like, I'm going to learn everything about parenting. I want to get trained. And I got trained in this, like, evidence-based approach. And it was all about timeouts and, you know, and punishment and rewards and sticker charts. And at first, I loved it until the moment that I was like, wait, like, I would hate being treated this way. I know. You just said timeouts. And I'm thinking of my research before this. And I'm like, I don't think she loves the timeout. I don't. Okay, good. You're shaking your head. Okay. I don't. But I went all that way. That was like, quote, the gold standard. And then it was really, it took that for me to think, wait a second. Like, this isn't right. Like, there's Mm. no way that something that feels so wrong, that something is so against 
like how I would want to be treated. If my husband was ever like, you were rude, have a, you have to, you have a time out. Yeah, go I, stand in the corner and don't talk to anybody. Yeah, my kids are humans just like we are. So I, I really, I was like, what if I took everything I know from my doctorate, from my family, from my work with adults in deep psychotherapy and really like reverse engineered that back to today's parents to wire kids in ways that maintained kind of being adapted instead of all the ways we all were wired that we have to like unwire <laughs> yours as an adult. Yeah. So, and I just remember thinking the thing about timeouts and punishments and sticker charts that parents, I think, really love, again, is that it gives them clarity. Yeah. That at least they can say, I know what to do. And I, I just think all of us, me too, we will all choose clarity over something that feels right. Like, it's just so bad to feel confused about something that matters to you. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to kind of create a new approach, I have to make it as concrete and palpable as the like timeout sticker chart approach. Like right. I have to make strategies and scripts, you know. So when you look at early child care, and I don't know how much you've work you've done focusing on that or hearing from parents, their stories. Yes. Um, this is what's happening in my kids, yep. you know, daycare center or with his teacher, her teacher, their teacher. Uh, but how do you see what you've come to, right, which is not timeouts? What examples do you see of what you believe in in early child care and early education before kids go to public school? Yeah. I mean, I... I do hear a lot. You know, it's interesting now we have this whole platform and this like amazing community and it's global. It is so global. I mean, my Instagram is only 65% US. That's really different than most parenting accounts. It's like, so we have members in the platform from Nigeria, from South Africa, from Guatemala, from from, um, the Ukraine, from Mm. Australia, from all over, over 30 countries. And what I hear a lot of in the early years is... And it's a struggle for these parents to, like, I feel so good about the system in which I raise my kids. It's kind of, like, good inside, whatever you want to call it, approach. But, like, at school, you know, when my kid had a hard time and hit another kid, like, not only was he sent to a timeout, like, you know, he was, like, basically called a bad boy. Like, you know, or he—and, like, this is hard to reconcile, you know? Right. or Or— my kid is getting stickers for like using, I don't know, for saying nice things. And now all of a sudden they're coming home being like, oh, where's my reward for doing things that I was like naturally doing without a reward? Right. That. So it's instilling this expectation in a small child because that's what they're getting in there during the day, wherever yeah. they are. But it comes home and the parent is a little confused over how to respond to that expectation. Yeah. And look, I actually like I really tend not to be that rigid about most things um and definitely not about parenting stuff so like i don't think i don't think kids have to be like parented or care given wherever they are in the same way like definitely Mm -hmm. not there's there's benefit to like having if you feel generally safe like there's benefit to having people do things different ways so you know there's something to be said for those kids and talking about you know those differences or what that was like but yeah if you're sending your kids somewhere for hours a day and they're doing things in a way that doesn't really feel right to you you're really in a bind. Right. And it's funny, like, it, it's, it's actually recently came up. People were like, do you do, like, accreditation for preschools? Like, is there, a, is there a good inside preschool? And I was like, oh, light bulb. Like, there's not. But at some point, maybe that's in the roadmap. But yeah, um, th- there's no parent who doesn't want to do right by their kids. And, like, you know this. Like, if there aren't always, you know, options that are perfectly in line with, right. with your values. I mean, I want to ask you, um, because... I imagine you have a wide array of different kinds of parents that you counsel. 
Do you ever tell them what to look for in a in an early childhood program and early education center? And obviously, we want to caveat. Yeah. We're talking about people who have choice, yes. and the vast majority of our listeners do not have a choice, or they're. I mean, I'm thinking of people who work at night or people who are juggling sure. two jobs or the whole subsidy system. I mean, it's so riddled with impossible <laughs> pathways forward. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the people who are trying to find somewhere for their child yeah. and they're trying to be a conscious parent. What do you tell them to look for? And does yeah. anyone ever come to you and say, I've had to settle for this place because they can take my child. I mean, the second, definitely. I mean, that's a big conversation. The second, definitely. A lot definitely. of people saying... Just like, I don't feel great. I don't feel great about where my kid is. And it's uh, the only choice. And right. how can I make the best of it? Right? I mean, that, uh, that is, right? Like how. And so are you doing some triage with those parents to say, like, this is what to look out for. This is how you can receive your child at home. Y- yeah. I mean, I think that... You know, when you asked that question, I, like, my body reacted, and I was like, why? I, I don't think my stance usually with parents, whether it's about preschool or their families or what's going on in their home, is ever like, here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. As much as I think our approach, and I think why it's really resonating with parents, it's 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 very much helping parents, like, access what, what I consider to be, like, inside every person. Like, kind of, mm-hmm. I call it, like, a sturdy leader. They're, like, sturdy pilot. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. we all have this kind of, like, knowing inside of us. No one giving it to us is going to help anyway. Um, And so I feel like what happens in terms of, like, what should I look for in a preschool, what I would want to say back to that parent is, like, well, tell me about the things that matter to you. Mm, Interesting, yeah. Like, okay, so that matters. Okay, well, what about that really stands out? Okay, so there's something about, and this to me is, like, just, I think our kids feel this from adults more than anything else. And it's, like, when your kids are struggling, is, like, do they feel like an adult is looking at them like they're a good kid having a hard time? Or a bad kid doing bad things. Oh my god. That's like to me is the the difference. That is such a that is such a quote. Yes, yes. A good kid having a hard time or a bad kid doing, doing bad, bad things. things. And how we intervene, it's not it's like we can only pull out an intervention from the bucket we're in. So if you're in, oh, like why is my kid being so defiant? Like, you know, that word, I I I don't like someone who's, as soon as you name something as defiant, you're like, that is a bad kid doing bad, disrespectful things. I know how a parent or a caregiving center or whatever daycare is going right. to respond versus, wow, that's a good kid having a hard time. Like the intervention would just be totally different. Right. So often when I do talk to parents about their child care school options, that, that's almost always what they get to. That like, forget what they call the center. Like I want someone when my kid is struggling to look at them and intervene with them like they're a good kid having a hard time, not a right. not a bad kid doing bad things. And so what do they say when they tell you they've had to settle or this won't work or we didn't get off the wait list or this is what we can afford right now? Yeah. Do you ever come into those conversations? You know, often they say, like, do you have, like, some documents to share with them that could be, like, conversation starters about why not doing punishment and not doing timeout, why that's not, like, quote, letting a kid off the hook. That's, like, always what people think, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you have something I could, like, share with them? Like, can we collaborate and find something in the middle? Right. So sometimes we'll help parents do that. Um, it's actually something we're thinking about a lot on our platform is like, how do we take these ideas and create like documents or handouts just to like start conversations with, you know, institutions or things like that. Um, and then, you know, something I think we miss as a parent is like daycare did something a different way. And or or this happens with divorce a lot, too. Like my kid is at another the other parent like, oh, I can't believe they did that. And often we center like our feelings about it instead of our kids' feelings. All the time. <laughs> All the time, right. All true. the time. I mean, I, I work on that hourly. Exactly. So I think 
there's a lot of power to realize like, okay, so maybe my kid is in a daycare center that like I don't like. I still generally think they're safe. Like they're not, there's no like, you know, they're not being hit. They're not being like right. belittled. They're not being threatened. They're just like really not doing things the way I want. Well, if I really center my kid's experience, then I might, you know, my kid's not saying, I wish everything was the same. My kid's just saying, like, I had a bad day. So then I might be able to say to my kid, like, wow, that's really tricky. Like, when you, I don't know, when you have a hard time at our house, we do this. When you have a hard time at daycare, they do this. Like, that's that's really different, right? Even just saying that yeah, is yeah. probably more what a kid is looking for than I am going to call up the daycare director and have this talk with them, which maybe we want to do also. But I can tell you, your kid in that moment just wants to feel less alone in something that happened that day. Right. You know, so remembering that I think can give us a little empowerment as a parent before we try to, which also is important. Like, let's change that. Let's let's burn the whole thing down. Let's let's change the right. whole thing. But before we do that, often a kid just needs their experience labeled and understood by you. And that's going to actually help them hold on to the fact that they're a good kid. Because like my dad saw me that way, even if they're getting a punishment or a timeout. After this break, Dr. Becky tells me why that mom guilt you're feeling might not actually be guilt. Plus, your real childcare moments, the voices of our No One Is Coming to Save Us community. Those are coming up right after this. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. I am June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And we would like to invite you on a hilarious and heartfelt journey each week on The Deep Dive. From navigating the chaos of motherhood and family to exploring the depths of grief and loss, we are just two best friends who process life together and with you guys. Discover our secrets to finding joy amidst the madness and get ready for unfiltered conversations about life, love, and everything in between. And nails. We talk a lot about nails. Now, community is everything to us at The Deep Dive. We believe in the power of connection and the strength that comes from supporting one another, and we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go back to um, mom guilt. Mm. And I imagine when people are telling you I had to leave my child in a place that I don't think is all that great, that that goes into that bucket. How do yes. parents navigate that? I mean, mm. I, I, I'm feeling it right now because I had this interview at the same time my daughter needed a tooth extraction because her mm. adult teeth have come in right behind her baby teeth. So I had to ask for help and I couldn't be there. And, you know, I feel pretty crappy about that. But again, it's okay. I'm doing what I need to do. But yes. how do you navigate mom guilt? 
guilt is like honestly one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> Let's talk about guilt, everybody. <laughs> I I could talk about guilt for like hours. Um. So uh, first of all, I think there's two ways we feel guilt and one is guilt and one is something else. So what you're talking about, I feel like is is like true guilt, Gloria. You're like, in theory, like I would love to be with my daughter at this appointment. Like those are some of my values to be there in hard moments. And in this moment, for whatever, for this reason, we're recording. Um, now I feel guilty too. I'm like, oh, I, w- I wish you canceled. And, you know, so we're just like guilting together. But yeah. Um, Producers, you needed to put this at a different time. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's your fault. No, no. Um, but guilt, I think, is like when we're not acting in accordance with our values. Right. That's true guilt. Okay? Yes. And I'll talk about how to manage it. The other thing I have to say, because so many women experience this, is the guilt of like, I said no to, I don't know, I, I am so tired and I can't go to my friend's birthday I don't know what, or can't go out with my friends. They ask me, I feel so guilty. And you're like, that's actually acting in accordance with my values. So I'm like taking care of myself. Yes. Or I told my partner, this is a good one, like, I need to sleep in. Can they get up with the kids on Saturday? And my partner kind of went like this, like, oh. Yes. I don't know. Oh my God, that happened. Right? Have you been in my house recently? <laughs> and then it's like, I feel so guilty. That is yeah. not guilt. This is something especially women do. That is somebody else's distress or disappointment that we as women have learned to take in yes. and open our pores and take in and it translates into guilt. That is not guilt. We need to right. give that feeling back to its owner. That is someone else's feeling. It wasn't ours. Oh, I love that. We need to give that feeling back to its owner. I'm not 100% responsible for your distress over getting up. And again, it goes back to those jobs. I and we could talk about that guilt, which is not really guilt and the and the first one which really is, but to me the intervention for that, given it's not actually really our feeling, is boundaries. Like, whoa, how did that feeling come out of, let's say in this situation, my husband's body, come into the air, morph into disappointment and like enter my body. Like how how did that <laughs> wizardry happen? And I need to put up a boundary by first really saying, and I like put my hands up for everyone who can't see me. And I literally do like push it away. Not like I hate you get away from me, but like that's not my feeling. And then once I see it as my husband's feeling, I can do the other part of my job, which is empathize. Like I could actually say to him, I know getting up with our three kids is like, <laughs> is a lot. I really appreciate you doing that. That I can now empathize with him because I didn't take the feeling in as my own, right? right so right, right. That's, that's not guilt. That's someone else's disappointment. And like, there's a million ways to think about iterations on that. The first guilt, which is like, yes, I am not acting in accordance with my values. I did miss the dentist appointment or like, oh, I yelled at some person who didn't open the door for me. But really, I'm like, so not mad at that person. I'm mad at like, you know, my boss or whatever it is. That guilt, I feel like, I don't know where we all learn this, but some idea like, how do I get rid of that guilt? That's always, how do I get rid of guilt? How do I reduce guilt? I just feel like we, we don't get rid of the emotions and sensations that live in our body. Like you can't run away from your own body. Like it, that's anxiety, right? So like you can't do that. What I think we need to do more of is, is like relate to our guilt, is literally mm. say hi to our guilt, right? So if you visualize with me like a container in your body, like a big container, The only reason any feeling feels so bad is that it's like taking up the whole container. So whatever other feelings might float around, I always imagine like, oh, they're just like crowded out. So now there's no room for joy or pride or whatever it is. Once a feeling becomes a little more contained within the jar, like the feeling's still there, but it doesn't feel like all of me. It feels like a part of me. Right. And and the irony is every time you make a feeling go away, it's like a toddler trying to get your attention. Like it's mom, 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 mom. You have to say, I see you. 
I see you. I still need you to wait, but I see you. I know you have something important to say, and I'll be back to you in a minute. So I feel like there's like steps to managing guilt. Number one is realizing I want to relate to it, not get rid of it. To put that into action, literally saying hi to it or giving it a name. I do this with my anxiety, but the same thing works with guilt. Like, oh, hi. Hi, Annabelle. Like, oh, oh, there you are. Exactly. Oh, there you are. And then reminding a feeling of its intended function is like very respectful to it. And when anything feels respected, it simmers down. Like, you're trying to remind me of my values, and I appreciate that. Look, things happen. I I made a mistake, or I can't, I I had to make a different decision today, but I appreciate what you're intending to do. You're like maybe a little overzealous right now. You're like, (laughs) but like, I hear you. And then there's something to this beautiful language that Richard Schwartz came up with. He's the founder of Internal Family Systems Theory, which is like deeply inspirational to my work. And he just says, I'm just going to ask you to step back. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm just going to ask you to step back. You don't have to go away. Right. Right. But I always picture it as like, there's all these feelings like at a boardroom and I'm the CEO and guilt is like trying to take over my CEO seat. And I'm just like, okay, like, look, I'm I'm just going to ask you to sit down. Like you can stay. Yeah, you can stay in the room, but just like take a seat. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, oh, so different. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut it's you off. It's so different than what we usually do is like get out of the room. Well, uh, what I'm thinking is like, I tell myself, my daughter will be fine. She will be fine going to the dentist with my neighbor. Like that will be okay. We had a conversation about it, but that makes no space for how I am in that moment or how I am interpreting, digesting, processing my own mom guilt. I think that I think that's exactly right. And like, you know, a couple things about that. It, and it, it makes us do all these like equivalent things. Like, no, they're fine because I was with them yesterday. Like we get into these like games with ourselves. Like, yeah. and it also doesn't allow us to center our kids' experience. Like when you see your daughter later, it'd be really helpful to be like, hey, I wasn't there. And like, that probably felt bad to you. Honestly, it felt bad to me. More important is that it felt bad to you. And and I'm sorry. And like, if you talk to your guilt and allow it to be there, you actually have space for that intervention because you're showing yourself, wait, this guilt doesn't like make me a bad mom. I'm just feeling it. It's a part of me. It doesn't define me. And now I can show up for people versus, and I've been there too. And I, of course, probably there earlier today when I get into, oh, it's fine. They're fine. Like, that's just going to impact how I relate to my child after. Because then her feeling upset is like, wait, she wasn't fine. That was the equivalence I came up with to move on from this situation, right? right. And then right. like, it ends up working more against everyone. Yeah, and I feel like also it, it puts pressure on the kid to be like, I was fine, I was fine, when in fact the kid might have been, I mean, listen, I tried. I tried to make space for her fear and it's gonna hurt. But If I just say, like, she's fine, we're never going to have the conversation about were you actually okay? How was it for you? Exactly. And, you know, when I think about when I think about parenting, I'm always like, okay, what do kids need now? But also the way we interact with our kids today impacts, you know, the majority of their lives that they live, hopefully, like outside our home for me, hopefully. Right. So the way I kind of set patterns with my kids around close relationships imprints on them around their expectations later on. And like what I know later on, let's say my daughter, if she's a partner, right, my, my son, and he is a partner, like they're going to be upset by their partner. Like that's inherent to a relationship. Right. So we have an opportunity now to be like, yeah, in your loving relationships, sometimes people have to do something for themselves that isn't great for you. And then you know what the answer is? You just talk about it. And that's yeah. like, that's it, you know? Yeah. But I want my kids to have that practice with me so that those things come, you know, more naturally. Like, I always right. feel like that's the best gift for my kids. If I can 
give them experience now that they can draw on in their close relationships, you know, in their important moments later on. They're never going to probably they see it. Yeah. They're never going to thank me for it. Exactly. Because it's like, you yeah. know, hard to name. But that, that's what that's what they want. No, it makes me feel good about saying last night to my son who lost his entire lab report and was handling it. But it makes me feel good to have said to him, dad asked me if I wanted to go for a walk and hold hands. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Like just to say, acknowledge a loving touch, acknowledge that we're taking time to do that. And nine times that evening, I was like, we can't do that. We don't have time for a walk. We don't have, we, we don't have time, you know, just to say in front of them, we're doing this. And that's a new skill for us. Um, I know you're going to have a lot of answers to this question. And I, I want to step into ideal world land yeah. now, like. Now we're living in a in a country that provides what many other countries provide, right? Which is a comprehensive, affordable, accessible childcare system. Um, how would that allow us to be better parents if we had a place that we trusted? I mean, I've spoken to American parents who live in Germany right now, where they have a wonderful system, and and they say we're not coming back until our kids are old enough to go to school. We're just we won't have the support we have in Berlin if we were to come back to the States. Like they think it's crazy that anyone would raise children in this country. So what would that, what would that system be like? Even if it wasn't your most ideal place to drop your kid every morning, Mm -hmm. what if there were enough spots? What if there was like, how would that help parents? Uh, Like it's, it's hard to answer that question because it's almost like, like how wouldn't that help parents in every single way? Right. So how would that help parents? Like, Every parent wants uh, to, like, give the best to their kid. They want, they care about their kids so much. So the overwhelming stress of not having a place, not having anything that's stable, not having options, right, or the the stress of, like, where that is and finding it and fit, like, uh, to, to think about the energy around that instead being spent on, even it's like, you know what? I'm going to take that stress management course to manage my stress. I actually have the energy to take that because I'm not running through all those hoops, right? Right. I I also think, like I said this early, parenting alone, like parenting is the hardest job in the Mm -hmm. world. It is the hardest job and it is 24-7 for the rest of your life, right? Especially when your kids are young, they're living with you. That is so hard. You can't do it alone. And so I guess I think of like a good childcare option in that way as like, that's part of, that's like a key part of your village. Yes, yes. Yeah, it it absolutely is. I mean, does that weigh on you when you speak to parents who are struggling through parenting? Does the lack of a village weigh on you for parents who come to talk to you about their challenges? Well, a couple things, right? So... The answer is yes, um, and I feel like one of the one of the best parts of this whole like journey I've been in the last two years, and I started this Instagram account, and podcast, and it's led me to talk to so many like really amazing, interesting people like you. And I think of Eve Rodsky and Reshma Shujani, who you know take a much more sociological approach, right? Versus my like I'm a psychologist, right? So I'm really focused on the individual and they're they're much more focused on the system. And I feel like I've learned so much from them, right? Not to say ever I would think like, oh, it's all your fault. You can change it. Like obviously there's systems at play, but I feel like I've learned so much about how the system is not set up for us to feel good or to, you know, thrive in any way. So I feel like, yes, parents not having this village weighs on me. And like I feel like I'm a learner 
in this process mm. and having my eyes more and more open to so many, you know, kind of larger sociological themes. I know. The thing I would say about the village also is it's one of the things, truly, it was the one of the biggest things that led to this platform. I don't know if you know this platform that launched like six weeks ago, right? Where what was happening on Instagram and honestly in my workshops, I'd have these live workshops and the chat was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like I'd see the chat going off and I, I didn't care and take it personally. I was like, I don't even know if anyone's listening to what I'm saying. I maybe should just talk, stop talking so they could like all talk to each other, you know? It's like group therapy. You're like, maybe I'm just gonna, yeah, take a seat here. Exactly. So I was like, people need each other. You need, yeah. And so the platform, one of the reasons is like, you can't just take a parenting course. You can't just watch a video. You watch a video, you take the best course in the world. And I think my courses are the best in the world. Still, you're watching it alone in your house. Yeah, You turn it off and you're alone. So I was like, what if people could have access to the content that felt right to them, but do it and then immediately be able to go talk about something with another parent? Yeah, Because I think when you learn something new in anything, definitely in parenting, learning something new and changing sits right next to learning something new and feeling guilty and bad about yourself. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe I did, didn't do it this way. And I think the thing that allows us to change as opposed to shut down is not feeling alone because then other right. people can reflect to you. Essentially, you're not alone. You're a good parent who is having a hard time, not a bad parent yeah. who messed up their kids. Not a bad parent doing bad, bad things. Bad things, exactly. <laughs> and I've seen the community in this platform, the way parents are showing up to each other, knowledgeable, non-judgmental, parents, I feel like they always say, Becky, this whole digital library you've created is amazing. But like, really, like this community and the fact that I can be connected to so many other like valued parents, that's where, you know, that's where I feel like I'm really growing. That sounds like it's what gives you hope, yes. which is how I like to end every episode. So thank you for taking us there. Thank you, Dr. Becky, for your work, all of it on your podcast, on this platform. We will provide all that information in the show notes. Uh, as I said at the beginning of this, many of uh, my friends said, oh, my God, you get to talk to Dr. Becky. And I listened to the show you mentioned about working moms. And I, you know, I've, I've started to digest a lot of your thoughts and expertise, and, and they're all helpful. And they're all pieces of advice that lead me to feel better about the job I'm doing. So thank you for that. It's not perfect, but we're getting there. <laughs> and uh, if, my, if my daughter gets any more teeth extracted... You know, I'll think hard about whether or not I can be there. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. This was like really so meaningful. Um, really enjoyed this. I love and I believe in Dr. Becky's principle that the feeling of being alone is not a good feeling. This is so relevant to me right now with the ages my kids are, happened to me and my daughter this very morning. But it is also relevant to parents with little kids in childcare. When I think about where to drop my child off, my little baby Mushi, that's what I call my babies, I want them to be tended to, to be seen. And I want someone looking out for them as their brain develops and they start to feel all the feels. Look, if a timeout is a part of the plan at their childcare center, so be it. I can work with that, and you might have to do the same. But at least now we know what questions to ask when we are looking for good childcare options. And that lesson we just got on guilt, I told you, free therapy. Put that in your back pocket from now to eternity. A big thanks to Dr. Becky. Okay, get ready. Voice memo time, my favorite part of the show. 
And this is weird because it's not like this is great, right? These can be brutal, for sure. They can be sweet. They can make me smile in recognition of something I relate to. But these are mostly tough moments. And that, the fact that so many of you are willing to share those tough moments with us, that is what is so beautiful. Your words, the idea you took out your phone and sent these small stories to me, that makes me feel less alone. So thank you. Here are this week's voices from the No One Is Coming To Save Us community. This is Julia from Portland, Oregon. Um, My daughter is in preschool right now, and normally I would be rushing to pick her up um, in about 10 minutes, but my husband is having to drop his dad off at the hospital, and we share a car, so he has to go pick her up which is kind of nice for me, which makes me feel kind of bad to be happy that my husband got delayed dropping his dad off for surgery so that I could have another 20 minutes to myself. Um, But that's what I call a break. I don't know what to say. Hello. I am about to go into work. I just listened to the most recent episode of the podcast on my way in. And tag team parenting was mentioned and I am one of those families. My husband and I work opposite schedules. Um, He works 14 to 15 hours straight Monday and Tuesday, not even a lunch break in between. Uh, I work three 12-hour shifts Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then he goes back to work on Saturday. So we are left with only Sunday and we basically do not see each other for the rest of the week, for the most part. Um, And while I consider myself very lucky to be able to do this, uh, just because childcare is prohibitively expensive, even with two good full-time jobs, I also feel like, you know, this is not lucky. This is so difficult. And we pay such a high cost in our relationship as a couple because we don't see each other. And even though everything we do, all that our, all that we sacrifice is for our family, sometimes I do worry that when life does calm down, our kids are a bit older, we kind of come out the other end, what will be left behind? You know, our relationship, our the bonds that we have, they've been stretched so thin. I, I kind of worry about what it's doing to us as a couple. Oh, man. To that first mom, those 20 minutes, that break, that that's self-care. You do not have to feel, as you said, kind of bad, because those 20 minutes, <laughs> now I'm like a clinical psychologist here, right? No, no, I am not at all. But I do think those 20 minutes are in keeping with your values of self-care. To me, that's good guilt, And to that second mom, well, that story just about tore my heart apart. That was hard to listen to for me because my own marriage really took a hit during a time my husband and I, well, we thought we were handling it all. Kids, work, family, friends, all of it. We didn't have tag team shifts, but we lived in two different countries for about a year. I had the kids with me, and we were lucky to, as you said, both have good jobs But we didn't do a great job of looking after our us. 
I thought we were doing okay. Mm, hindsight. <laughs> when my husband and I came up for air, our us, well, it was really hard. But I am so proud and grateful for the work we did. So good for you for acknowledging your concern about your us now. And thank you for sharing it. If you want to leave us a message, it is super easy. All you have to do is take out your phone, record a short voice memo, and send it to me at gloria at lemonadamedia.com. Send me your parenting wins, your fails, mom guilt moments, and everything in between. All right, that's all for now. Whew, this episode was a doozy. I'm so glad we did it, and I'm so glad you heard it. Hang in there, guys, and I'll see you next week. No One Is Coming to Save Us is a Lemonada Media original, presented by and created with Neighborhood Villages. The show is produced by Chrissy Pease and Alex McOwen. Our mix is by Ivan Karayev and Bobby Woody. Music is by Hannes Brown. Our VP of weekly content is Steve Nelson. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax, Jessica Cordova-Kramer, and me, Gloria Riviera. If you like the show and you believe what we are doing is important, please help others find us by leaving us a rating and writing us a review. Do you have your own experiences and frustrations with the childcare system? Do you have ideas for what we could do to make it better? Join the No One Is Coming To Save Us Facebook group, where we can continue this conversation together. You can also follow us in other Lemonada Media podcasts at Lemonada Media across all social platforms. Thanks so much for listening, and we will be back next week. Until then, hang in there. You can do it. Hey, friends, it's Megan Trainer And her big bro, Ryan Trainer And her husband, Daryl Sabara. Each week on our podcast, Working On It, we share behind-the-scenes stories and bring you into our hilarious and heartfelt conversations, and sometimes with amazing guests. We tackle everything from navigating Hollywood to mental health to Megan becoming a mother, Daryl becoming a father, and so much more. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and leave no detail behind. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. Listen to new episodes out every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Feeling decision fatigue about what to make for dinner? We get it. I'm Jane Black. And I'm Liz Dunn. We're veteran food journalists, and as parents ourselves, we know how hard it can be to feed your family. That's why we created Pressure Cooker, a podcast that offers practical strategies for navigating the marketing madness and cultural expectations around mealtime. Each week, we'll check in with the experts. From social media diet trends to baby-led weaning and AI meal planning, we have all your food-related questions covered. Listen to Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts.